Welcome to the Women in Public Policy Program Seminar Series Podcast at the Harvard Kennedy School. I'm going to go ahead and get us started. Um, welcome. Oh, no. Um, my name is Hannah Riley Bowles. Uh, welcome to the seminar today. Uh, we here at WAP are. Uh, our mission is to close gender gaps in the areas of economic opportunity, political participation, health, and education. Uh, the connection of this seminar to that, to that uh, uh, mission is um, sharing the you know, cutting edge research, really some of the newest research, looking at both uh, women's leadership advancement, but also uh, gender in public policy. And uh, today's talk is really in the, in the um, uh, women's leadership advancement stream and also I think will give us some opportunity to talk about uh, not only gender identity but are you going to also share your work related to race yeah. right so so we're um, in ever need as we've already started in the seminar discussion of um, looking at interse intersectional um, uh, mul multiple identities um, that women bring to work the, um, so before we get started, are we recording today? Okay, so I want to give people the sense that think about the fact that you're not just in this small seminar room that we um, have now. We we uh, what's the word? Project. We broadcast. Thank you. We broadcast the seminar, um, and so we've had now um, thousands upon thousands of downloads. So as we're Having our conversation, don't just think about being in a small room, but please also take into account that there are other people who are going to be downloading the podcast. And so, related to that, we we have um, we have a, we were pretty we, we we follow the guidelines of the speaker in terms of our process. And I believe that Ashley is open. I'm going to introduce Ashley in a moment. That she's open to conversation while she presents, and then leaving some Q and A at the end. But I do ask that when you pipe into the conversation that it be a question as opposed to a commentary is typically our rule. Uh, and so, and that it relates actually to the presentation. <laughs> okay. um, so now I get to introduce our speaker today, Ashley Martin, who is one of my absolutely favorite people. She is a doctoral student at Columbia Business School. She is doing absolutely fascinating work um, looking at how we talk about diversity in organizations and the implications of how we um, talk about diversity for not only the evaluation of individuals from diverse backgrounds, but also their own sense of self-empowerment, which is really exciting. And she's, um, she's a rock star doctoral student already lighting up to the job market, has won multiple awards, and we are honored to have you here. Thank you. Very much. Thank you, Hannah, for that lovely introduction. Um, so I am so excited to be with you all talking about some of my work on how to discuss diversity, or more specifically, how the ways in which we discuss diversity differentially affect women and minorities. And so I think we can all see that recently there's been this increased push to talk about diversity. We're constantly being told that in order to leverage any of the benefits of diversity, we really need to be talking about it. And we've heard this often for race and for gender. We're told that to be blind to difference is counterproductive and that there are differences that exist so we should be discussing them. And this isn't something that's just being espoused from the mass media, but in fact organizations are adopting this approach as well. 
In fact, most organizations adopt this approach. Applebaum and his colleagues found that organizations were three times, or used three times as many statements like we celebrate, we recognize, we emphasize, we acknowledge difference, rather than statements like we believe in equality or we treat people equally. So um, Apple's a good example, it's just an excerpt, but they say we believe in equality for everyone, race, gender, age, amongst a plethora of others. Uh, we celebrate their differences. Colgate says recognizing and valuing differences is vital to our culture. This diversity includes culture, race, gender, amongst many others. And New York Life says, we hire employees from a variety of backgrounds, including a number of different identities. We take every opportunity to recognize and celebrate these differences. And so we can see that through mass media, through our culture, through organizations even, we're being told to embrace difference, to approach difference, to talk about difference. Um, but is this a good idea? What does research have to say? Well, luckily, this uh, has been studied in much research, at least on the race side. It's been studied in over 800 papers in the social sciences. And in fact, they find that talking about differences or recognizing differences, acknowledging differences, uh, can be a good thing. So for example, it reduces bi bias from majority members. Now, this is predominantly done on African Americans and whites. And what it finds is that uh, for whites, it in fact uh, leads them to detect discrimination. So if you can see difference, you can recognize difference in the way we're treated. Uh, it leads them to be motiv more motivated to perspective take, to try to engage uh, with people of different racial backgrounds. And it also uh, leads people to be more interested and engaged with difference, rather than ignoring it through uh, ignoring racial contact. But it also increases engagement from minority groups. So minority groups feel like their identities are validated, they're not being forced to assimilate into a dominant culture, and in fact, they feel more group self-esteem. So if one was to walk away uh, just using race, we might think that this is a great idea, that we shouldn't be embracing all of our differences. But I identify as a gender scholar, which is why I'm with you all today. Um, and I wanted to see whether or not this strategy actually worked for gender, because we're applying it to gender. And so at the time, 2012, I went out to the literature to see what they had to say. And in the equivalent body of research, so the diversity ideologies literature, there was one paper published at the time. And this paper uh, showed through correlational methods that in fact, being aware or recognizing, emphasizing gender differences, in fact was related in social contexts to benevolent sexism. So first of all, a form of sexism doesn't sound good. Second of all, benevolent sexism is a form of sexism that sees women as lovely, as wonderful, um, but denies them agency by seeing them as dependent or in need of men. And so it was really unclear to me whether or not, in fact, embracing these differences was a good idea. And we can see it uh, in our everyday lives as well. Google provides a great example. Uh, they found themselves in hot water recently because an engineer there dared to discuss difference. He dared to discuss diversity. But the diversity he was discussing was the fact that women are underrepresented in upper echelons at Google because of their biology. They have less testosterone, so they don't want status as much, and they're not trying as hard. Or their personalities. Women are more neurotic, use that word exactly, uh, so they can't handle the stress at Google. And so clearly this caused uh, controversy. He was fired. Uh, there were protests about it. There were counter-protests. The Twitterverse uh, went up in a frenzy. Um, and uh, so we can see that we're being encouraged to talk about difference, 
but it's kind of more complex than that. In fact, it can have some real unintended consequences. And this is because as not only a culture and a society, but as a field, we really haven't discussed or systematically explored the types of differences that we're talking about, the w whether they're similar for, each, for race and gender, and how they affect outcomes for each group. And so this is the purpose of my talk today. I'm gonna to be asking, is an awareness approach equally effective uh, for race and gender relations? And I'm gonna be exploring this by looking at types of differences, the attributions we're making for them, and the forms of bias that they're affecting. And then, because as I mentioned, there, is, uh, there was only one paper at the time, I think there's three now, uh, about the little work that's being done on the gender side of things, I really wanna know what are the implications for women at work? I'm going to look at this through men's evaluations of women, women's own confidence and self-efficacy at work, and even male-female interactions. So I have a, a lot to cover today, uh, which brings me to the ABCDs of my talk. Um, so I'm going to be looking at the effects of awareness on attributions for difference, so the types of differences we're talking about, the effects of awareness on outgroup bias, uh, on women's confidence, and on dyadic interaction. So in the first part of my talk, attributions, I want to look at three studies, and I want to show you today that in fact, when people generate race and gender differences, they think of different things. Um, so race and gender differences actually hold unique content and attributions. In study two, I want to show you how these approaches, these awareness beliefs, this idea that we should recognize, celebrate, emphasize difference, actually acts on these different attributions and affects unique differences for race and gender. And then in study three, I want to show you that in fact this has consequences. That these types of differences that we're emphasizing and suppressing through talking about our differences actually cascade and uh, act upon unique forms of bias for women and minorities. So in study one, the goal was to examine uh, attributions for spontaneously generated differences. So a very simple study, I asked 143 MTurk participants uh, uh, either to list out race or gender differences. So they got this question, please list out 10 differences between blacks and whites or men and women. And they got 10 boxes, so they were allowed to list as many uh, differences as they want. And then I showed them these differences again. And I said, please indicate the categories that you think are at play for these differences, or you think that are most likely the cause. And biology and personality I selected because in my own understanding of the problems with emphasizing gender, this is what seemed to be coming up. But in my scan of the literature for race, the themes that really came up were opportunity and culture. So I wanted to see if those same ones were evoked for gender. And so um, they could pick as many or as few as they wanted. And so what we find here is that for race, in fact, people are listing significant, or for race, they're listing significantly less biological differences than gender. Um, even though a lot of them had to do with skin color, a lot of them had to do with hair, they were still listing a lot more for gender. In terms of personality, uh, we see a whopping difference there. People think that gender differences are much more due to personality uh, than they do for race. In terms of opportunities, we see people are listing out opportunity differences more for race <laughs> than gender. And in fact, when we're talking about culture, this was marginal, uh, but it seems as though people are thinking of cultural differences more for race uh, than in fact gender. And so in terms of uh, what the study is meant to show, it's meant to show that the types of differences people are thinking of when asked to just generate race and gender differences are that race revolve really around external differences. A lot of the differences that we're thinking of 
for race are really these things that revolve around opportunity and culture that perhaps might be good to expose or recognize. But for gender, the types of differences that people are really embracing or recognizing seem to be around biology and personality. And this is going to have different consequences uh, for minorities and women. Yes? To what extent is this a social desirability issue, especially given that historically people utilize biology and these like internal attributes to describe racial differences, and now that's gone out of favor, but it's okay to do that for gender because we just see gender as fundamentally different. So from like a social dominance theory perspective, gender is a very different hierarchy than race, and so because of that, biology plays a large role. It's harder to strip away, um, but people want to use biological reasons to explain race. It's just not in favor of that. So I think that's a very interesting point and a very interesting question, and I agree. Um, I think the interesting thing in that own, your own comment is the fact that for biology, we're still comfortable recognizing it for gender in a way that we're not for race. And so in the sense that there's social desirability, there's social desirability for both race and gender. Um, no? Well, I, I just feel like the social desirability is, is different in the way that I actually think that if you were to ask people, for example, say what other people believe that are the differences between race and gender, you probably get many more people espousing biological differences with race because it seems like they had to endorse these differences themselves rather than from a societal perspective. It's true, that's a good point. Um, I think the other studies will help act on this. This is just showing kind of the types of differences. That said, uh, you, if I go back to the slide, you can see like a lot of these differences are <laughs> still biology for a race which goes to show that they're not ignoring biology completely, and culture seems to be pretty high for both. So there are differences uh, that are common for both of these two. It's just one seems to be coming up more in one condition. But I think the rest of my talk where I show you how uh, the endorsement of formal ideologies acts upon these things will, will help me use that. If not, I will come back to you. Um, okay, so in this study, I showed uh, that for race and gender, they act upon unique content and attributions. In study two, I want to show you how these formal beliefs, these ideas that we should recognize, celebrate, emphasize difference, uh, affect uh, these unique differences for race and gender. And so uh, study two, that is one of the goals. But the second is to uh, measure individuals' awareness beliefs, so these dispositional beliefs, how one thinks they should approach difference. Uh, so to do this, I conducted a correlational study, um, either looking at race or gender. And so the independent variable was an awareness scale. Now what's very interesting is that awareness scales are often used in the context of, of race, um, but they're often conflated with the types of differences. So an awareness item would be, I want my children to be exposed of the traditions of different racial groups. So embedded in that question is really traditions, it's about <coughs> culture, and so I tried to strip that away. Thank you, Hannah, for that lovely advice. So I collected all uh, the measures previously used, and I tried to use the ones that best match race and gender together, and I'll go through the items. Um, and then the dependent variables were internal and external attributions for difference. But the hypothesis is that when we're aware of race differences, we're really aware, or we're trying to be aware of culture and opportunity. But when we're aware of gender differences, we're really aware and trying to be aware of biology and personality. So I had out-group members take part in this study, about 80 uh, white people in the race condition and about 80 <coughs> in the gender condition. And the variables uh, were an awareness scale. So uh, here are a few example items. Differences between groups, so either men and women or uh, black and white people, 
uh, should be acknowledged and celebrated, or there are differences between these groups uh, that are important to embrace. For blindness, uh, I reverse these items. It's commonly <coughs> done in the literature, but also if you're aware of difference, you're usually not blind, so I reversed these items. Um, some of these included we should describe others in terms of their individual traits rather than their race or their gender, and there's no reason to categorize individuals based on their membership. So the dependent variable uh, was types and attributions for difference. So in terms of attributions, I just asked, when groups differ in some way, how likely is it due to either biology or opportunity? And the types, I asked, how different are each group in there? Uh, either these internal differences, like personality, skills, and interests, or external differences, so experiences, backgrounds, and culture. Yes? This is going to be correlational because you're just measuring the scale? Yeah. Okay. But I'll manipulate it on the next one. Well, so. Right. <laughs> so I did this for race, um, and then I did this uh, for gender. And so what we see is in terms of internal differences, those who are saying that we should acknowledge, we should recognize, we should even celebrate racial differences are not saying that black and white people differ in their biology. Um, but they are for gender. So people who are saying we need to acknowledge, we need to emphasize, we need to celebrate gender differences are saying, yeah, and men and women really do differ in their biologies. Uh, so these are the types of differences that they're seemingly embracing. Um, in terms of personality, again, we see race unaffected. So people aren't saying that racial groups really differ in their interests, their personalities, and their skills when they're aware, but they are for gender. They are saying that, yes, men and women differ in these personalities, skills, and interests, and we should embrace these differences. This is problematic, and I'm going to go into why in a few slides, uh, but that seems to be what's happening for gender and not race. But when we look at the external differences, so opportunity, for example, we see that this is where we're getting movement. So when people say, you know, we should recognize race, we should acknowledge race, they're saying, yeah, there's opportunity differences between these groups, but they're not for gender. So in fact, this is marginally uh, lower. So people who are saying we need to embrace gender differences are not saying that these differences are due to opportunity and we should be looking at opportunity differences. They're saying that we should be looking at biology differences. And for experience, again, we see an effect for race. So people who are endorsing these awareness beliefs are thinking that, yeah, people differ in their cultures, they differ in their backgrounds, and they differ in their experiences, maybe differences that would be good to look at. Now, what's interesting about this is that they also do this for gender. So my guess here is similar to kind of James Dolomer, who is the engineer at Google, who readily acknowledged that women and men have different experiences at Google, but kind of blamed it on biology and personality. People who are gender aware might recognize these experiences, but attribute them to different things. So in study two, I wanted to show that awareness beliefs emphasize unique types of differences for gender and race. So awareness for race seems to highlight these external differences, these differences in opportunities and culture. And for gender, uh, they seem to be highlighting these internal differences in biology and personality. Um, and so this might be good for race. It, in fact, it seems to be good for race based on the past literature because recognizing inequality is really the first step in disrupting it. You have to know that there's a problem that exists in society if you're going to tackle it. And so perhaps recognizing racial differences actually lessens people's denial of inequality in society. And so I'm going to measure that in study three, and I'm going to show you that, in fact, this awareness might lessen denial of inequality. But I'm going to argue that this is bad for gender, <coughs> because personality differences are things that we link to gender stereotypes. 
And so we think that men and women differ in these traits, these agentic traits. So men are agentic, they are assertive, they're confident, they're independent. And this is problematic because this are, these are qualities that we associate with leadership. So when we think of what we want and what we see in leaders, these are things like independent, confident, assertive. Um, and the stereotypes that go along with women's personalities are those of communality. So kindness, gentleness, warmth, emotionality. And unfortunately, these are not things that we see and we want in our leaders. And so by recognizing or telling people to recognize these differences, embrace these differences, we might be inadvertently telling them to be recognizing these differences that place men at greater advantage for leadership. It's also problematic because biological attributions legitimize stereotypes. They allow people to feel very comfortable in those stereotypes because they're natural. And so these biological personality attributions are really gonna highlight this bias towards women. And so I wanna show you in this study that in fact emphasizing gender differences exacerbates these stereotypes that limit women's opportunities at work. And I will show you that throughout the rest of the talk. So study three, I wanna show attributions highlighted through awareness affect unique forms of bias. So in study three, the goals were really to manipulate awareness and blindness beliefs this time, I was measuring them before, um, and compare to a baseline. So are we aware of difference naturally? Are we blind to difference naturally? What is this manipulation doing from people's baseline beliefs? Um, and I wanna show you again that emphasizing, uh, that awareness emphasizes unique types of differences, but I also wanna show you that it affects different forms of bias. And so the method in the study was an experiment, uh, two by three. So I had people in one condition um, either list out race or gender, like the reasons, I had them list out why it was good to be aware of race or gender differences, why it was, or why it was good to be blind to race or gender differences, or just think about race and gender differences. And I'll walk you through this in a moment. Uh, it was a reflection task, which is a standard paradigm, in fact, if these beliefs ever get manipulated, they are manipulated this way. Uh, the dependent <coughs> variables were attributions for difference. Again, what we've been seeing, these biology and opportunity attributions. Uh, stereotypes, so agency and communality stereotypes. And denial of inequality. So this is a measure uh, that has been used to show people's uh, modern prejudice. So the idea that they don't see inequality. So the sample, again, was outgroup members. I had either 191 white people or 171 men take part in the study. So the reflection went a little like this. They were told that social scientists all agree that inequality is a problem in the States. And so in order to make the United States as successful as possible, we have to be aware of differences. We have to acknowledge and embrace the differences either between men and women or between racial groups. We need to recognize our differences to come together on important problems. And you know, together, social scientists, political scientists, economists, uh, sociologists all agree that we should be appreciating and embracing these differences between groups. And then they were asked to reflect on this and list a few reasons why this would be a good idea. Mm -hmm. Just to clarify, you didn't have a big blue box that said aware. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not exactly the manipulation, but. <laughs> I think my results would have been stronger. Um, <laughs> in the blindness condition, uh, they were told that in order to make the US as successful as possible, in fact, they needed to de-emphasize group differences. They needed to think of people as either American citizens or as individuals. Uh, that we need to recognize our sameness to come together on important problems. And everyone really agrees that we need to be kind of blind to these differences. And so they were then asked, again, to list out 
about five reasons why blindness difference could be a good strategy. So they either did this for race, where they listed out um, kind of these reasons for race, or for gender. And there was a control condition. In the control condition, they were just told to reflect for a few minutes or a few moments on current issues in, about race or gender in the US society. Uh, so the dependent variables were attributions for difference. Um, these are uh, very similar to what I've been asking before. When men and women or black and white people differ in some way, how likely is it due to opportunity or biology? Now in this study, uh, I took a different score, uh, mainly for ease of presentation. I actually have uh, the each one separated if it's of interest later. Uh, but this is also how Martin and Parker score it in their 1999 paper. <coughs> publishing when I was 1999, but it's a very good paper. Uh, and they show that biology and opportunity are usually negatively correlated. So I did it that way. Stereotypes. Uh, to what extent do you think each trait is characteristic of the, uh, either the average black person or white person, men or women? Agency, qualities like assertive, dominant, independent, confident, or communality? Things like warm, kind, gentle. Um, and on a scale from characteristic of one group, so either blacks or whites, to uh, characteristic of men and women. Uh, and then denial of inequality. So this is a scale by Swim et al. And it, it just measures your belief that inequality is not a problem anymore. So discrimination against black people or women is no longer a problem. And on average, men and women or people of different races are treated equally. So again, in the race condition, they saw items related to race. And in the gender condition, they saw items related to gender. So what did we find? So for attributions, on a scale of more biology to more opportunity, we find that for race, people are making more opportunity attributions for difference overall. But not as much as people who are aware. So people who are asked to reflect on why it was a good idea to be aware of racial differences in society actually realize that black and white people differ in their opportunities more so than those who just thought about race for a hot second. And uh, in the blindness condition, actually we brought people down. So this is P equals 0.05, but it's still blindness seems to be bringing people down from a baseline to say actually race differences aren't due to opportunity or are less so due to opportunity. And what we find for gender is in fact people endorse biology much more overall. They think that gender differences are due to biology more so than opportunity. And this is no different than the aware condition. But in fact, in the blind condition, this is the only condition where people are making more opportunity attributions for gender differences. So what I want you to take away from this graph here is very important that awareness is having radically different effects for race and gender in terms of what we're highlighting. Yes? I'm curious, when you're talking about awareness, mm -hmm. what we're talking about awareness of and sort of what the manipulation is and things, because um, you know, when I think of why colorblindness is problematic, yeah. It's not because, like, I, it's, it's not about whether or not you see differences between black and white people, it's whether or not you're acknowledging the ways in which people of color are marginalized, and like, you know, the fact that people are more likely to see white kids as younger and more innocent, or the fact that professors are more likely to respond to white men who randomly email them, or all those different things that are not about differences between the groups, it's about differences in what they've experienced. Yeah. Which is touched on a little bit by the more opportunity thing, but when your questions are about what are the differences between the groups, I think you're leading people towards you know, more of the internal attribution as opposed to if the question was, like if you just reframed it a little bit, what are the differences in the experiences that these people have? And so awareness of, if you're heightening people's thoughts about 
sort of differences between groups. I think it's almost pushing them towards the biological one, which obviously is not completely going there. People are still noticing opportunity. But if, you, if the question was about awareness of ways in which different groups are treated differently, it yeah. seems like that might be a totally different conversation. And so I'm wondering. So I, I don't know that it would be a totally different conversation. I think, I think it's an at point. And I think it actually demonstrates this kind of um, what's happening for race, because I think people do realize that colorblindness is about some of those things. Um, and the idea that, you know, when you manipulate, I guess, the idea that racial groups have different experiences, I don't actually expect to find much differences between these, these groups. I do for gender. So for gender, we're not having that conversation. We're not saying, like, you know, gender blindness is bad because we're denying men and women's different opportunities. What's happening is, is kind of the social role stereotyping. Uh, but I wonder whether that's because you were frame, you framed the question, what are the differences between the groups? Whereas, you know, if it was, for example, that in hospitals they take women's pain less seriously yeah. or something like that, those things, that's not differences. Like, if you ask me what are differences between men and women, yeah. I'm not going to talk about that necessarily. Whereas if you asked what are differences in, between men and women's experiences, I would. And so it does seem like the way that, partly because of some of the differences you're highlighting and the way you think yeah. about it, that that slight tweak in what you're talking about being aware of can make a huge difference in the way that it influences people's attributes. Absolutely, and I love that. I think that's, that is, if you took one thing away from my talk, it's really, we need to shift the types of differences that we're talking about and not necessarily we need to not talk about differences. But I do, um, I don't, this is my last study on race, but I do have other studies where I, I look more at that through different questions. I'm also going to show you kind of this denial of opportunity measure, which might kind of uh, get at your your thoughts a little bit more. But it's it's interesting, very interesting. Thank you. Okay, so in terms of stereotyping, uh, what I found very interesting on a scale uh, from more I guess uh, minority group, blacks and women, to more whites and men, um, we find for race. So on a scale more blacks to whites, uh, we see that in fact my manipulations, our manipulations, these manipulations, are not affecting uh, stereotyping for these groups. In fact, they're not even different from each other. Uh, but for gender, on a scale from more uh, women to more men, we see, first of all, that people are associating men much more with agency. Um, they associate men with things like assertive, confident, independent, all these great things for leadership. Um, and they do so similarly in the aware condition. So people are saying, you know, men are better at these things when they are aware. But it's in the blind condition, in fact, that this comes down. So people are seeing uh, men as significantly less or comparatively less agentic uh, in the blind condition than either of those other two. And so what, what this suggests, again, it seems to be that awareness is the baseline um, for gender in a way that it's not for race. So we are, are aware of these differences. Yes. I realize your main control group here is sort of within the gender condition, but I wonder if you thought about trying to actually measure a race stereotype I don't know the agency yeah. communal thing as well as you probably do, um, but it seems like you're taking a gender stereotype and yeah. seeing if there's action on race, but if you took a race stereotype, you might actually get action on that. Yes, and past research has said that in fact this can exacerbate stereotyping. It's usually positive stereotyping. Positive stereotyping can be just as insidious as negative stereotyping, so I'm not minimizing that at all. Um, so I, I do think it has negative consequences and it can exacerbate um, stereotyping and that being aware has problems for race, definitely does. Uh, but my point in this is just to show that the agency stereotypes that we're associating with leadership aren't being applied to race in the same way as gender. 
I love that. So what's interesting here is for communality, these similarly gendered stereotypes is on a scale from more whites and more men to more blacks and more women, uh, yeah, more women, we see that in fact people, first of all, associate whites overall more with communality and associate women overall more with communality, but these weren't affected by the condition. So there's no differences between the condition. I'm really not moving communality here when I'm manipulating beliefs about whether we should be aware or blind to racial differences. Now I have thoughts about it, I'm interested in opening it up to discussion, but this is gonna come up again. Communality is not as affected as agency. So in terms of denial of inequality, what you find is in fact that awareness is bringing down denial of inequality. So it's allowing people to recognize, at least comparatively more, that there is discrimination that happens against black people in society. And this is no different from the blind. So again, it looks like blind is the baseline for these things, and awareness is really pushing people to see more. Whereas for gender, although blindness, again, seems to be directionally having some positive benefits, and I found that it has in, in other work, uh, this is not significantly different. Which again, I think just demonstrates the point that even if it's making people more aware of women's opportunities. It's doing this much strong, more strongly for race than gender. So, oh yes, please. One question, do you think that part of this is due to this difference between almost like, like you talked about external versus internal, and I think of the phrase like systematic or structural racism that makes sense, but we don't talk about systematic or structural sexism in the same way. Yeah. And so thinking about like, again, if people don't feel like they can assign a blame on personality. So the only thing left for race is sort of this more structural aspect. And so if you go talk about the difference between groups, the only thing that they can think about is a structural way. And they're like, oh yeah, that kind of sucks. Um, but for gender, that's not true. You can do both. And I yeah. think it's just easier because of the fundamental attribution error, we're more likely to make attributions internally. And because it's, it's acceptable for gender, what, you, what you're actually doing is already giving people who are biased to do internal the avenue to do so and so I'm wondering if there's a way to sort of think about like if you were to ask people is it okay to talk about gender differences in terms of personality they're like heck yeah yeah and so I just I just wonder if this is more like a structural versus internal thing yeah. rather than like a huge difference between like gender and race per se mm -hmm. not that made sense it, it does I mean I think I think they're just conflated they're too conflated to really disentangle them at this point but yeah I definitely think the problems are about the structures and the way we're talking about these things rather than the groups themselves. I mean, I think an interesting avenue would be to look at other groups. I've only really examined race and gender myself, but what happens with age or disability or even cultural differences? I mean, I'm, I'm conflating culture and race in here as well, but I mean, I think you would have to extend it to a variety of groups to really understand what, you know, what it is about the, the differences, but I really think that's interesting. Yes? Yeah, I just had a quick question about the study participants. I yeah. think you said that they're outgroup members, yeah. but can you tell us where they came from? Are they Columbia students? Oh, or so they were enter participants in the study. Okay. So just, uh, are you familiar with enter? It's an online panel uh, where people log on and they complete studies. Great. Okay. Did, did you say it was done online? Yeah. So people were totally anonymous. Yeah, absolutely. They're always anonymous. Fire Um. <laughs> Anyways, so <laughs> what I've shown you in studies one through three is that awareness for race seems to be highlighting these differences in opportunity and culture, which perhaps it's good to be having this dialogue about, right? Because it exposes inequality facing African Americans, which is a precursor to reducing bias. But awareness for gender really seems to be highlighting something different. 
seems to be highlighting these internal differences in biology and personality that reify these gender stereotypes that limit women's opportunities at work. And so for the rest of the talk, I really want to focus on women and how these ideologies or these approaches to difference actually affect women's opportunities at work. So I'm going to be looking at bias in the next study at least. So I want to show you that these awareness ideologies really act upon the <coughs> stereotypes that I just showed you to affect women's opportunities, specifically in the domain of hiring. And so this was an experimental study. Uh, and the goals of this study, one, were to change the paradigm because I had people really go through a heavy-handed manipulation. They had to sit there, and on average, it took them eight minutes to reflect upon why it's good to be aware or blind to race or gender. But in the beginning, I talked about these media messages that we're being bombarded with. How do these media messages actually affect our cognition and our behavior towards women? So I do it through uh, a media message. And I want to show you the downstream consequences of uh, these stereotypes, which is workplace hiring. So in the sample, again, I'm Turk men, 72 outgroups uh, members. Uh, it was a two-part study, the first part being a reading and comprehension paradigm, taken from Williams and Eberhardt. And the second was a hiring evaluation, which I took from Heilman and Okamoto. Um, and it, there were two conditions. So they were either given an article that they were told to read and evaluate. We were interested in their opinions, what they took away from it either on why it's good to be aware or blind to gender differences. And then I had them do a leadership evaluation, so I had them read a resume, um, and they rated uh, this resume on uh, the woman's leadership potential and whether or not they would hire her. So I'll walk you through a little uh, more specifically. So in the awareness condition, uh, they were given an article again. They were just told we were interested in their opinions. And this article espoused the benefits of being aware of gender differences. So it had items that I actually used in the last uh, reflection um, task, uh, but this time uh, it was embedded in the article. So it said things like, modern American society would be better off if people recognized that men and women were different versus a blindness manipulation, which had almost the same uh, paragraphs, uh, somewhat different, but saying modern American society would be better off if people recognized that men and women were just more similar than they were different. And then, so in the next part, uh, they moved on to do a hiring and resume evaluation study. So they were told we were interested in their opinions and thoughts on uh, a, the, a few candidates for the position of associate vice president of an investment bank. And so they were given uh, information about the job, what it entailed, what they would have to do. Uh, they were given a list of eight names that they could randomly get, eight of which were men, two of which were women, again, to reify the gendered nature of this job. Um, and they were given, all of them were given Elizabeth Walker's uh, application to evaluate. So Elizabeth Walker was good. She was a good candidate. She was a strong candidate. But there was some room here because gender stereotypes thrive under ambiguity. So she had some experience. Her ratings were pretty good. But there was room to have a difference of opinion on it. And so uh, I asked them, to what extent do you think Elizabeth possesses these characteristics, these agency characteristics that I showed you in study three? And then I asked, uh, how likely would you be to hire Elizabeth? Or would you recommend her to be hired? And so what we find is in the awareness condition, um, people are rating Elizabeth lower on her leadership evaluation than they are in the blind. So when, we're said, when we tell people you know, we should be aware of gender differences, they're rating Elizabeth as less good of a leader. And they're also less likely to hire her. And in fact, if we look at this model to see kind of what's driving the effects, we can see that this decision to hire her is mediated by this leadership evaluation. So these awareness stereotypes, these agency stereotypes that are being highlighted through awareness 
actually have consequences, at least in this, uh, in this experiment, for women's uh, likelihood to be hired for this really high power job. And so the takeaways for this study were that men who were gender aware, they evaluated women lower on leadership ability. They were less likely to hire her for this high power job. And this likelihood to hire was really driven by these stereotypes that were exacerbating through words. Yes? So in your first studies with the race comparison, it was yeah. great because you could basically not attribute anything to experimenter demand because mm -hmm. it would have been going on in both conditions. Mm -hmm. How do you think about experimenter demand here? Where in the awareness condition, you're saying, Genders are really different. Yeah. Now think about this woman. Um, do, you, do you have a way of sort of teasing apart sort of what they thought you wanted to hear from what they really wanted to do? I mean, my I've thought about experimenter and demand effects um, quite a bit because these are uh, really laden with value, I guess. Um, in both conditions, they're hearing ways to, um, I guess, approach equality. So there's. There's really heavy gendered content in both, which kind of alleviates my concern about gendering things. But you're right, uh, I guess telling people that we should be embracing uh, men and women's differences is making them be more aware of differences. But I, I think the point is that it's making them aware of certain types of differences. Um, and I have done this experiment with race many times, in fact. It's just very anticlimactic to show people that these leadership stereotypes aren't affected which could be demand effects, right? It could be like, I don't want to rate um, you know, uh, African-Americans different in either condition. I don't yeah, know. But, but I, think, I think that's helpful to know. Yeah. Um, and I guess I, I think in your shoes, too, you might argue that when companies publish these statements, they're inducing some form of demand, too. So yeah. even if part of it is just operating on what we think is acceptable, maybe that's a channel that's actually important to, yeah. uh, to understand. Oh, that's such a great point. I'll incorporate that. <laughs> yes, sure. Do you think that you would have found the reverse pattern if in the aware condition, what you're actually doing is breaking the link between the stereotypes themselves and leadership? So thinking like women are communal, and that's supposed to be not a good stereotype of leaders, but if you left alone that women are a stereotype to be communal, but then tapped this idea that communality is not that big of a deal for leadership, you might find the reverse. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because when I think about race and racial stereotypes that you know, wearing dreads is not seen as professional. What a lot of, I think, bringing up differences between groups is doing is breaking the link between dreads and professionalism, not necessarily the stereotype link between African-Americans and their hair. And so I'm wondering if, if maybe that gender aware is okay, it's just at the location in which you're making people aware that gender differences or racial differences are a thing. Yeah, so I'm just trying to, um, going back to your first idea about Communality. Mm -hmm. So you said if I were to evoke communality stereotypes in this? Like if you go back to your manipulation and you said, you know, it's important that we recognize gender differences. What, like, if there was just one more line that, you know, uh, the idea that there's not just one leader or there, yeah. there's not just this one idea of leadership and that all kinds of traits can make you to be a good leader, yeah. what you might find is that even though people might be stereotyping women more that actually make might make them hire them more in the aware yeah. condition because of yeah. that is the link that's being put. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point. I mean my manipulations are deep away from any sort of difference. I try to make them just like think of differences on your own. Uh, but I think I think it's really hard, I think it's a noble goal, but I think it's very hard to break the stereotype of of leadership with agency. I would love to do it. I think it just requires more like to to have people go into a mindset where they now think that leaders are communal 
and then to, I guess, go through my manipulation is, is uh, confounding because it's, it's really changing a stereotype that is so entrenched. I'm just showing that it's acting on the stereotype that's very Cool. Okay, so in my next study, I want to look at how uh, these ideologies act upon the very group that they're meant to help women. So how does it affect women's cognition? Uh, in the domain of the workplace. So in the first study, I want to show you that in fact, when women think of differences, when women think of gender differences, oftentimes what gets evoked is agency differences, and these agency differences are seen as unhelpful at work. In fact, they undermine their status and their confidence. And then I want to show you again that these awareness ideologies, these formal statements that we're espousing about you know, whether to be aware or blind to differences at work, actually affect women's workplace confidence. Um, and then in study seven, I want to show you that in fact it affects action taking. <coughs> and action taking is important because in order to, you know, achieve equality, we really need to be acting on the status quo. So if we're if we're affecting uh, confidence without action, then uh, it's kind of uh, less meaningful. So in study five, again, the goals uh, the goal was just to examine the types of differences spontaneously generated by women and show how this affects their confidence at work. So 163 women took part in the study, MTurk again, uh, making lists and attitudes and perceptions. So very similar to the first study we saw. Uh, they either listed out gender differences or similarities in the making list condition, or the making list part <coughs> of the task. So in the differences condition, they listed out up to 10 differences between men and women. And in the similarities condition, they listed up up to 10 differences, the similarities between men and women. And then I just asked to what extent did the qualities you just listed undermine your ability to be seen as a leader, decrease your power and influence, um, and I think lessen your status at work, something like that. Um, and then I had two independent coders rate the number of agency and commonality words that were listed. Uh, they were pretty high in agreement, but I had a third coder resolve any discrepancies. So what we can see here is that when women listed out differences, in fact, they thought that these qualities had much more of a negative effect on their leadership than did similarities between men and women. And they also uh, listed out many more agency words in the differences condition than the similarities. What was interesting was in the commonality, difference, uh, commonality condition, there was no differences between the conditions. So people weren't listing out any differences in kind of communal aspects. Um, like people would say both men and women love, you know, um, whereas I guess men were only the ones who were agentic. <laughs> So what we find here when we look at what's driving this negative effect on confidence from the differences condition, in fact, uh, agency words does mediate this effect. So the idea that gender differences is evoking agency differences, which is evoking kind of negative effects on um, confidence. And so in study six, uh, I wanted to look at how these awareness approaches actually affect confidence. So um, I also wanted to compare to a neutral baseline. So as we saw before, you know, awareness seemed to be the baseline for men's stereotyping. What is it for women's confidence? So I had 115 women take part in the study. Uh, it was a two-part study, reading and comprehension, again, and then attitudes and perceptions. So this, I had three conditions, either an article where they read about benefits of being aware of differences, or uh, the benefits of not being aware of differences, or a control condition that was completely devoid of any gendered content. It was about a school recycling program in New York that has caught on in New York. Um, and then the dependent variables uh, was a workplace confidence scale that I've developed and validated in a different study. This scale really captures people's action-taking efficacy at work. So their comfortability challenging others, disagreeing with others, overcoming hard challenges, performing better than others. 
Um, and what we find is in the control condition, women are endorsing uh, competence, I guess, above the midpoint, four out of seven. Uh, and in the aware condition, uh, no differently than the control. But actually in the blind condition, uh, they are endorsing workplace confidence significantly more than both the aware and the blind. So it really is seeming like awareness is our baseline. These messages that we're espousing about gender differences have really been internalized. And blindness, this idea that you know, gender differences aren't as important, uh, is moving people from the baseline, moving women specifically to be more confident. So in the last study of this section, at least, I wanted to examine how awareness affects women's workplace confidence, but also their action taking. Uh, so 126 female managers uh, took part from an MTurk study, so we screened them in advance, and we did a two-part study, reading and comprehensions, and this time, judgment and decision-making. And so, again, they received either an awareness or blindness manipulation, and uh, then they rated themselves on agency, so their self-identification with these agentic qualities. Uh, they filled out the workplace confidence scale, and then they did some action-taking scenarios. I'll walk through those in a moment. So, identification with agency. We just asked, to what extent does each adjective describe you? Leader, assertive, so this is almost like self-stereotyping of agency. And then we gave them the workplace confidence scale and the action scenarios. So, in one, um, these have been shown and validated to correlate to actual real-world action taking, but it's used a lot in the, uh, in the literature on this. So, in one scenario, they're given a uh, blackjack hand, and it's kind of risky. They're asked if they'd like to take a card. Taking a card is coded as taking action. Uh, they're given the pros and cons, so both good and bad things about going first in a debate, and they're asked if they want to go first, do they want to take the initiative. Uh, they're told that there's a, a felon who's been wrongly convicted, and you know, they could take action against it, but it would require some you know, cost to them. Would they like to take action? And then finally, they're given pros and cons of negotiating for their dream job. It's kind of risky, but it would lead to some benefits. Do they want to negotiate? So it's coded on a scale of zero to four. And so what we find, very similarly to the past conditions, is that in the awareness condition, women are identifying with agency less than in the blindness condition. They're also rating themselves lower on workplace confidence. And they're taking less action in terms of the scenarios. And if you look at the best model fit for this, you'll see that, in fact, this effect on action is really driven by the idea that awareness makes women identify less with agency. So they're no longer seeing themselves as all these male stereotypes. It lowers their workplace confidence, and it leads them to take more action, or less action. And so it, um, better, it, this explains it better than any other iteration of the model. So we can really see that these agency differences are the ones that are being evoked through awareness, and they're having outcomes on not only women's confidence, but their action taking. And so what I'd like you to take away from this is that women who were gender aware identified less with agency traits, had less workplace confidence, and were less likely to take action. Okay, so in my final study, my uh, favorite one, uh, I looked at dyadic interaction. So I looked at how men's awareness beliefs affected male-female interactions. Now, I looked at men's, I think women's are just as equally interesting to examine, in fact, a future direction, uh, but I wanted to isolate the effects. First, we know that men tend to be more dominant in interaction. Second, men seem to harbor more bias towards women. Um, and third, it's, it's unclear if we manipulated both who would be driving these interactions. So I uh, wanted to isolate the effects by just manipulating men. And so the goals of this study were to see how men's awareness actually influenced men's openness and uh, women's influence. So I had 100 students come to the lab take part in the study. There were 50 same-race male-female diets, and they took part in a two-part study. The first was reading and comprehension. They all did the same exercise, but only men were given the 
manipulations. And then uh, they did a performance and interaction exercise. So there were two conditions, either awareness or blindness. These were only given to men. And the dependent variables uh, were talking time. So we coded how much they talked during the interaction. Uh, their openness, we had two independent coders who knew nothing about what was going on, code how open they seemed to each other. And we looked at the interaction quality. Uh, and I'll go through these in a minute. So the ma manipulation. So in this study, only men read this article. So they were either given an aware or blind article, and the women always got a control. So they always read about this local school's recycling program. So they had no idea what mindset men went into the interaction with. And then they were told, okay, we're done our reading and comprehension task. Please move on to the next part, which is the bushfire survival task. So uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but the bushfire survival task is uh, basically the idea that uh, you know, you're given a scenario where you're stranded in the Atacama desert and um, a number of items have landed with you. So you're stranded and you have some items. And you need to rank order the items in terms of importance. And so there's two things to note about this, uh, this uh, task is that one, it's seen as male typed. So people think that men do better on it. Men do not actually do better on it, but it's perceived that men do. And second is that there is a hierarchy of the rankings. So for example, water is more important than salt. Um, experts have come together to kind of converge on what the best ranking is. So there are objective answers. So they first did this alone. They rated the items by themselves. And then they had to interact uh, for eight minutes together. And we coded a minute of the interaction. And then they had to come back together and re-rank items. So we had two coders, again, they were blind. They had no idea about the hypothesis of the study, and they had no idea about the condition. So they actually had no idea that they had even been in an experiment. Just told them we were interested in behavior. Uh, so they rated how much talking time each participant spoke with with stopwatches. Uh, they were given a list of behaviors to look out for based on Carly's work, Linda Carly's work, uh, uh, for openness, nodding, and listening, incorporating ideas, even kind of phrases that would suggest openness. And then they rated their overall interaction quality. So things like the dyad worked well together, and the dyad had an effective interaction. And so what we find, I know talking time is interdependent. If one talks more, someone has to talk less. But I, I thought it would be good to show both, because there's no more silence in each of the conditions. So um, in the aware condition, men seem to be talking uh, more than women. That's not significant. But in the blind condition, women are talking significantly more than men. And so blindness is really seeming to uh, have men lean out so that women can lean in. In terms of openness, we see that in the aware condition, men are less open. So this is a result traditionally found in these types of tasks, uh, where men are you know, less open to uh, other people's ideas. But in the blindness condition, men and women are equally open to each other's ideas. And in fact, coders who had no idea you know, if anything had happened to the participants, thought that people in the blind condition, in fact, had a better interaction. So that when men were primed with gender blindness, People thought that overall the interaction looked better. And so what I want you to take away from this study is that when men were more gender aware, in fact, they talked more, and they were less open to women's suggestions, uh, that men and women had less effective interactions, and that gender blindness, I've been talking a lot about gender awareness and the negative effects of gender awareness, but gender blindness seems to allow men to kind of lean out, to allow women to lean in. And so in eight studies, I've gone through eight studies today, I've shown you the effects of awareness on attributions. I've shown you uh, that race and gender differences have unique content and attributions, that awareness beliefs emphasize these unique differences, and that the attributions highlighted through awareness actually <coughs> cascade and affect different forms of bias. 
Uh, I've shown you the effects of awareness for outgroup bias, not only for minorities in terms of denial of discrimination, but for women's workplace opportunities. I've shown you that awareness actually has effects on women's confidence, and in fact, that gender differences, just the gender differences that we think of actually undermine women's confidence, undermine their, and awareness acts on these two, undermine their workplace confidence and affect their action taking. And that it even has consequences for interactions. Uh, that when men were more gender aware, it affected their talking and their openness in uh, cross-gender interactions. And so what I want you to take away from this talk, or more importantly, what I don't want you to take away from this talk, I don't want you to take away that differences don't matter, because they do. Uh, they're very important. Differences are embedded in the construct of diversity. Uh, and you know, uh, it, diversity is important to capitalize on a lot of different uh, but the types of differences and the ways we discuss them are very important. And so I think just as a field, as a culture, as a society, we really need to consider which differences we're emphasizing and perhaps be more discerning because for race, it seems that these awareness approaches are really highlighting these external differences in opportunity and culture, which perhaps would be good to you know, recognize or acknowledge. And for gender, it seems to be internal, biology and personality. And so emphasizing these internal gender differences has negative consequences. It, uh, you know, gender awareness strategies are the baseline approach to gender differences. They highlight stereotypes, they increase bias, and they reinforce men's greater influence and um, greater influence in interaction. And they undermine women's confidence in action taking at work. And I've talked a lot about, again, gender awareness and the consequences of gender awareness, but gender blindness seems to be an intervention to act upon these baselines. In fact, gender blindness reduced men's stereotyping uh, from the baseline, and it increased women's confidence from the baseline. So perhaps instead of discussing or constantly discussing the differences between men and women, discussing similarities might be um, an effective intervention. And that's basically the takeaway from my talk. I have a few future directions that I think would be interesting to look at. The first, I think this talk suggests that diversity strategies really shouldn't be monolithic, the way that we're approaching diversity in terms of race, age, gender, culture, disability, veteran status. Uh, it might not work as well for all of these groups. So we shouldn't apply the same strategies for all these groups, but it really does beg the question, how do awareness approaches actually affect other groups? Are they just as harmful for age and disability? Also, how do these approaches affect people with intersectional categories? If you say we should be aware of race but blind to gender, how does that affect black women who fall into the intersection of both? Um, also interesting question in my mind uh, is the consequences of making salient external differences. I've talked about this as if, if we just moved differences to external differences for gender, everything would, be, would look the same, it would look good. But in fact, the differences we're talking about for external differences for gender seem to differ as well. Women differ in their childcare expectation and domestic responsibilities, so highlighting these kind of external uh, pressures and external stereotypes, would this actually be adaptive? Um, and then finally, and I think such an important topic, Gender awareness and blindness did not affect commonality. These stereotypes were more endorsed than agency overall, and they were unmoving. Um, and gender equality really requires men to engage in these activities, too. It's not just about women becoming agentic, it's also about men becoming communal and taking on these domestic roles. And so since gender awareness and blindness doesn't seem to act upon it, what are strategies that can? Um, and so I think that concludes my uh, talking portion. But
it's, um, it's totally inspiring to see a doctoral student who's on earth. I mean, I think what you didn't really talk so much about is how much, like, in some ways, these these findings were surprising yeah. to you, yeah. you know? And so a lot of this has been a journey of figuring out this kind of counterintuitive thing. And look at how much work there is to I do, know, which is so ideal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's fabulous. So thank you. And please join us again next week. Another um, terrific presenter, one of our WAP fellows, Jia uh, Xu, is going to talk. We're going to get on the policy side looking at intimate violence and sexual violence uh, in Chinese society. So hope you can join us for that conversation as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.